All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today is our weekly wrap up where we look at the past week's Falcons related news, get some in-depth conversations about some ongoing competitions for starting spots at cornerback and along the offensive line, as well as discussing the potential possibility of trading. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at FalcFans.com. RIP, still going strong, however, on Twitter at FalcFans. And, of course, the host of this illustrious Lockdown Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode of Lockdown Falcons has got you covered on all the things with the Falcons news. But you guys should also check out the Peacock and Williamson podcast. It's one of the top national shows on the Lockdown Podcast Network, breaking down every team every day. And you're getting former NFL scout Matt Williamson alongside NFL analyst Brian Peacock's thoughts on each team's draft going division by division this week. So check out the Peacock and Williamson podcast to get those updates on the other 31 teams NFL draft moves on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So today's episode of Lockdown Falcons is our weekly wrap up. We haven't necessarily done one of these, but this may be probably a ongoing feature uh, from here until we get to mid-July and training camp kicks around because there's going to be at least league-wide a lot less news. Although if you look around the league, there's a lot of things going on uh, around the league, including in Atlanta. And sort of we'll catch you up on sort of what were the big stories over this past week in terms of just sort of little tidbits of information. Some of those are going to be talking about the free agent moves uh, that have happened in the last week involving the Falcons or adjacent to the Falcons. We'll talk a lot about Peter King uh, going on his podcast and talking about there's a greater than 50% chance that the Falcons may deal Julio Jones before training camp. We'll examine that probability of that as well as we'll get into a conversation from the press conferences that the Falcons assistant coaches had and that will allow us to jump into a conversation uh, in-depth conversation about the ongoing competition for the starting left guard spot as well as the competition for roster spots at the cornerback position so without further ado let's sort of get into that weekly review catching you up on the news so if you're wondering what happened to running back Brian Hill or maybe you're wondering that it's a possibility he could return to Atlanta to show up their running back death. I'm sorry to tell you that he is the latest Falcon player to defect to the Tennessee Titans. He signed with them on Wednesday and should be in the mix to be the top backup to Derrick Henry there. And let's hope for the Titans sake. He has a little bit more success than some of their other more recent ex Falcons, Vic Beasley, Jamil Douglas, Ty Sambrello, Jack Crawford, Brooks Reed are some of the ones that have uh, made their way a little bit North of Atlanta to Tennessee in the Mike Vrabel era. So moving on from that, catching you up on the Falcons, most recent additions, they signed AJ McCarron last Friday, but we did get an update on his contract this week. As we suspected, uh, he basically got the veteran minimum deal with a modest signing bonus. He'll get a $1.075 million base salary this year with a $137,500 signing bonus, making him earn a little more than $1.2 million this year. But because of a league rule called the veteran salary cap benefit, only 850000 which is the veteran minimum number of his base salary of that $1.075 million will count towards the Falcon salary cap. So AJ McCarron, despite making a $1.2 million this year, is only going to have a cap hit a little shy of a million dollars at 987000 
$500. The Falcons also added a player on Thursday, signing former practice squad wide receiver, Jawan green filling in one of the four spots left available on the Falcons roster as they work to fill out their 90 man roster between now and training camp. Green basically becomes the 58th player under contract on the Falcons roster. You add in the 20 undrafted free agents that they added. Then you factor in the nine draft picks. That's going to get you to a number of 87 players. And of course there's a 90 man limit that you can have in terms of players that you can bring to training camp. So there's three more players that the Falcons will still have an opportunity to add between now and, and then over the next two months. Um, if you don't necessarily remember Jawan green, he was an undrafted free agent with the team last summer stuck uh, as one of like the 15 wide receivers that the Falcons had on their practice squad throughout the 2020 season at various points. And he was one of a handful of players that the Falcons did not resign from their practice squad to future contracts after the season, as most teams do. Uh, Sean Harlow was another player that they let walk. And I think he's now in Arizona. So green is basically an X wide receiver. Now he's going to be a backup behind Julio Jones. And that's where the Falcons currently have him. Uh, Frank Darby, who they drafted in, in the sixth round, who probably is atop that depth chart behind Julio Jones and potentially another undrafted free agent in Antonio Nunn out of Buffalo, Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, one of those blue schools, uh, Buffalo probably would be like the, the fourth string uh, X wide receiver. And one wonders, you know, given the fact that the Falcons are adding so many backup X wide receivers, does it mean that Julio Jones is possibly on the move and will, sort of continue today's weekly wrap up show by talking about the possibility with more reports, more rumors surrounding the plausibility of Julio Jones being shopped by the Falcons. But before we get there, guys, I want to let you know that bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing and you can track all the action at bet online. This weekend had a ton of sports action on the go with the NFL draft and the first leg of the triple crown in the Kentucky Derby. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game. Head over to bet online on your laptop or mobile device and check out the great sporting news, sign up bonuses and contest info. Bet online gives you all the latest news, odds and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action. Head over to the website or use your mobile device at, to sign up today at betonline.ag. Use the promo code locked on and receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So Falcon fans, listen up. Nugenics is the number one selling free testosterone booster at GNC and is offering a complimentary bottle to all football fans in America to get your complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total T text draft to 231231. This unique man boosting formula is powered by Testafin, which helps boost free testosterone and total testosterone levels and increases energy and lean muscle mass. If you're over 40 or like me approaching 40, don't let age get in the way. Get your edge back with Nugenics. Plus, if you text now, they'll include a bottle of Nugenics Thermo their most powerful fat incinerator ever with key ingredients to help you get back into shape. Absolutely free text draft to two, three, one, two, three, one that's draft D R A F T to two, three, one, two, three, one message and data rates may apply. So, you know, people were a Twitter on Twitter today um, with, you know, more talk of Julio Jones possibly being on the trade block. And I think a lot of this stemmed from a podcast that Peter King did on Tuesday, uh, on the Peter King podcast, if you want to go look for it. And he was basically d- discussing on that episode, the fallout of the draft. And one of the things that they talked about was the Falcons selecting Kyle Pitts at four and also the possibility of trading Julio Jones on the note of selecting Kyle Pitts at four. King basically said, after having the conversation with Arthur Smith and 
Terry Fontenot that he discussed in his football morning in America column that he posted this earlier this week on Monday and elaborating and and further elaborating on that point on the podcast was that he believed that the Falcons simply didn't take a quarterback because they didn't like the quarterbacks more than they like Pitts, which is, you know, what we've been talking about for the last couple of months and why the Falcons could realistically take Pitts. But, you know, sort of the big thing uh, in that regard, you know, on that episode was, you know, he said that the possibility of the Falcons trading Julio Jones before training camp, he felt was more than a 50, 50 chance. Now, I can't really comment on the probability of that. You know, I waffle daily between 10 and 40%. So on any given day, let's say, you know, I'm at like 20, 25%. But in terms of reasons why it would trade, why the Falcons would trade Julio, um, these are things that I've discussed on the podcast. You can go back and check out, I think it was Tuesday's episode before the draft. So not this past week's Tuesday, but the previous Tuesday's episode with Charles McDonald, where we talked about the possibility of trading Julio Jones. And I went into a lot of this stuff. Um, but you know, financially it does sort of make sense. The Falcons would save over $15 million against this year's salary cap. If they were to trade Julio, which is the most savings that they could get from any one single move, uh, to create cap space between now and the start of training camp, when they need to create some cap space to sign, not only their rookie draft class, um, but could potentially use some of that money left over to shore up, um, roster spots. And, and basically they need $5 million to sign their rookies. We talked previously about them needing a cushion to go into the season for some midseason moves that they would need to make in the event of injuries. And we ballparked that figure around $3 million. And so if they were to free up the $15 million to buy trading Julio Jones, that would leave them roughly with like $7 million of free money to spend. And that's $7 million that could go a long way to shoring up some key spots of the roster. One of which we're going to talk about later uh, on the episode with the left guard position, but you could also add a backup running back. You could add a pass rusher. You can add any number of positions and, and supplement your roster with $7 million in terms of pure, pure cap spending. And, you know, that would put the Falcons roughly in the middle of the pack with current teams in terms of their cap space at this point in the summer, which would mean um, that they would be reasonably competitive when it came to pursuing some of the more prominent free agents at this point in, in the league. And we, if you've been paying attention to the league, there's been a lot of guys that are seemingly on the move. Several teams have made post-draft cuts. You know, there may be more on the horizon. Uh, so, you know, it would make sense for the Falcons to want to create that cap space sooner rather than later. And this goes back to something that we discussed earlier when it came to the conversation around how the Falcons could do that. Whether, you know, when it came to restructuring Grady Jarrett's contract and thus why it would make sense for the Falcons to want to create that cap space by restructuring Grady Jarrett rather than trying to extend him and waiting on the extension that would probably take weeks, if not months to negotiate that you could basically tomorrow restructure Grady Jarrett's contract to get some cap space, which would then allow you to sign your rookies as well as maybe pursue a a couple of free agents. But certainly the amount of money that you would have to spend on free agents with a Grady Jarrett restructure, probably about a million dollars or so um, would be significantly less than the 7 million that you would do from trading Julio Jones. So financially it makes sense uh, in that, in regard for the 2021 situation for the Falcon salary cap. Now, if you look ahead to 2022 trading Julio is fairly cap neutral when compared to trading Julio after the season. So, you're not going to be able to get his contract completely off the books. Even if you wait until after this season trading him, or if you trade him today, 
right? You're still going to have to carry a $15.5 million dead money hit in 2022, whether you decide to trade him this year in June 2nd, or you wait, you know, till after the season and trade him on say March 2nd of next year. So that's one reason not to trade him. And it goes back to something I've said on a previous episode of the podcast, which is, I think the most likely outcome, the thing I would probably bet the most money on happening is that Julio stays in Atlanta this year and probably is a post June one cut after this upcoming season, rather than the Falcons trading him. But that also gets into the conversation of why it would make some sense for the Falcons to explore trading him. Cause if that's the most likely outcome, that's an outcome where you're not getting anything back for Julio. You're, you're taking the cap burden in 2022 and not getting something in return uh, from, you know, trading a draft pick. And thus it would justify you thinking, okay, if we can maximize his trade value this summer, which probably is the case. And Peter King on that podcast mentioned potentially a second round pick from a contending team. You know, it's very likely you're not going to get a better offer than that if you wait till after the season. So if you know that Julio Jones, if you're of the mindset that at some point in the next, you know, nine months that you're going to move on from Julio Jones, in that sense, it does make more sense to get something rather than get nothing if you can trade him now. So I think those are all the reasons why the team would be at least somewhat justified in trading Julio Jones. You know, it basically boils down to getting something for nothing in a form of a draft pick. And you also create cap space that would allow you to shore up other key areas of your roster. But I think the reasons not to trade Julio are fairly obvious and all of them are, are pretty much football related. Go beyond finances. Um, you know, you're talking about taking your greatest strength of your roster and weakening it. And yeah, you'll still be fine with Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts and Hayden Hurst and Russell Gage, etc. But as I often say, Julio Jones is the son. He, he, his gravity makes all the other planets go around and, you know, maybe this is not the greatest analogy because, you know, if the sun stops shining, you probably wouldn't be able to survive. But in this analogy, you know, even if you remove the sun, you would be able to survive without it. It'd just be a whole lot colder. You probably have to go underground, use earth thermal energy to survive. And you would eat a whole bunch of mushrooms. I don't know. Um, it's not like I've thought about this possible scenario for a science fiction book that I'm writing, but you know, I think, in terms of being able to survive without Julio Jones, I think one of the bigger misconceptions about Matt Ryan that people often say is like, Oh, Matt Ryan can turn any wide receiver into a good player. And really for my film study over the years, over the last nine years, you know, a lot of Matt Ryan's success comes from having that trust and that rapport and that comfort with his receivers. And we've seen over the course of his career that you can't just put anybody around them and think it's going to work. You know, that's why you've had these sort of up and down years from Matt Ryan. Um, whereas some of those years, he, he hasn't been that comfortable with his receiver core. This was one of the reasons why a year ago when everybody was hyping up, you know, Hayden Hurst and having his breakout season and how he's going to instantly come in and step in and, and be just as good as what Austin Hooper was. And this goes back to Austin Hooper hype when in 2017, where people were like, Oh, he's going to have a breakout season. I was like, eh, maybe you want to pump the brakes on that. And, you know, you look at the history of Matt Ryan with these various receivers with Roddy white being an obvious lone exception, because obviously he didn't have a year that was his rookie year. So he had to hit the ground running with Roddy white, but every other receiver that the Falcons have added since then over the last, you know, 12 years, whether we're talking about Tony Gonzalez, Julio Jones, Devin Hester, you know, had some growing pains early on. Now the level of growing pains depends on the receivers. Some guys, it was half a season. Some guys, it was a full season, 
But even Mohamed Sanu is a player that I think a lot of people would look back and go, oh, Mohamed Sanu was fine. But people forget that those first six weeks of that 2016 season, Sanu was a non-factor in the offense. It really wasn't until the fourth quarter of that Packers game in week seven or whenever it was, or week eight, whenever it was, that Sanu finally showed up and people were like, oh yeah, Sanu's good now. And like people forget that. You know, um, you know, I, I hear, constantly hear people talking about, oh, Matt Ryan's so good that he made Harry Douglas into a thousand yard receiver as an example of him making receivers better. But again, most people don't realize that during that 2013 season, when that happened in that seven week span in the middle of the season, when Julio Jones and Roddy White were, were hurt and injured and, and Douglas became the de facto number one wide receiver in the offense, most of his production during that stretch of games was in garbage time. Right. If you look back at those games, he would drop like 50, 60, 80 yards in the in the last 20 minutes of the game in the fourth quarter, late in the third quarter after the Falcons were down two or three scores. Right. And then the minute Roddy White came back in like week 13 and, and started playing like Roddy White, Harry Douglas was an afterthought in the offense. He, like he basically stopped throwing to Harry Douglas at that point in time. He had to throw it to somebody during those games when the Falcons were basically putting up garbage yards uh, in the middle of that season. And Harry Douglas was clearly the better option than say Drew Davis or Kevin Cohn or, or Darius Johnson at that point in time. So, you know, with, with Harry Douglas, you know, people would look at those final box scores and see, Oh, Harry Douglas had a good game, but ignore the fact that for two or three quarters, he was largely a non-factor because Matt Ryan just didn't have the same confidence in him as he would in his primary weapon. So I think even though on paper, people would say like, Oh, losing Julio wouldn't necessarily kill the Falcons offense. Cause they have all these weapons. I do think it would kind of break their offense in a lot of ways because Julio is clearly the guy that Matt Ryan trusts. He has trust in Calvin Ridley, but not nearly to the degree that he has in Julio. You know, he has, he started to develop that trust with Hayden Hurst, but certainly, you know, we, we got 13 games last year where his confidence and his rapport and his comfort with Hayden Hurst was not that good. Right. And Russell Gage is basically only a receiver that you can trust when we play, you know, NFC South opponents. If you look at his numbers um, and then of course, Kyle Pitts is brand new. So it, it would, to me, it would break the Falcons offense. I wouldn't think the Falcons offense would stink. It would be terrible or anything like that, but it'd be much closer to an average offense. Like say it would be much closer to an offense without Julio. That would be like the 13th best offense in the league versus the third best offense in the league when if which they would have a chance legitimate chance to be if they had a Julio and he was healthy for this upcoming season and when we talk about this team's ability to compete this year for a postseason spot you know it's not to say that they have to have the third best offense in the league but the closer they are to that number you know maximizing that number and getting closer to third best is obviously going to maximize their chances to make the postseason this year so while I think why those football reasons is why I would agree with most folks that a trade is probably not in imminent. It's harder for me to outright dismiss it as, Oh, that's not possible. That makes no sense. There's no way that they would do that because it goes back to things that we've talked about on the podcast recently was, I don't know if you can look at what Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith have done this so far this off season and say, Oh, that's definitely not going to happen. That there's an actual rhyme or reason to what they have done. You know, I think a lot of things are, are definitely on the table. And to be clear, you know, I don't think the Falcons will trade Julio Jones this summer, but I don't have the same level of confidence that I think a lot of other people have that that definitely won't happen. You know, if Baltimore came along and offered a second round pick in 2022 and a conditional draft pick in addition to that for Julio Jones, you know, based off of this current regime's record so far, I, I wouldn't say like, oh, there's zero chance that they would pull the trigger on that offer. Maybe it's 10 or 20% chance that they would pull the trigger on the offense, but I wouldn't be totally shocked if I'm waking up, you know, on a Tuesday morning, you know, a month from now 
and seeing the news that the Falcons have traded Julio Jones to the Ravens or something like that. I would, I, you know, I would be disgruntled. I'd be appalled. I'd be upset. You would certainly see me raging on Twitter, but I wouldn't be shocked by it. You know, so every time someone like a Peter King says, you know, it's a 50, 50 probability or, or more than a 50, 50 chance. It's hard for me to sort of dismiss that as just, oh, that's just utter nonsense. And then you hear, you know, Arthur Smith on the Rich Eisen show on Thursday, and he's basically being asked point blank about, you know, being committed to Julio Jones being on the team. And he's very noncommittal about that. Now you can say, well, he was noncommittal about Matt Ryan earlier this offseason, And then they took pits. And then after that, you know, they're showing all the love in the world to Matt Ryan and talking about how much more they think he has left in the tank, but that's kind of the point, you know, they'll do the exact same thing with Julio Jones. You know, we think highly of the player, but we can't predict the future. And, you know, if Julio isn't traded, we'll get to training camp and they'll be like, Oh yeah, we always loved Julio or whatever it is. That's just the way the game is played. So they're going to be non-committal until they make a, a, a move. I get that's how it goes, but it doesn't necessarily give me the confidence that, you know, this is definitely not going to happen when the new regime is like, oh, I can't predict the future. We'll see, you know, you tell me and then, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, if I, if I have any confidence that the Falcons won't trade Julio Jones, a lot of it is just tied to the fact that I don't see that many teams going out of the way to to offer a lot for Julio Jones at this point in time. You know, I look at teams like Baltimore and San Francisco and New England. I know Michael Rothstein for ESPN posted a couple of other teams like the Colts and, and Raiders as well. But basically, you know, those would be the three teams that I would think are most likely to trade for Julio Jones. And we'll just sort of have to uh, wait with bated breath to see if that happens. Uh, and basically at this point in time, I have a Google alert uh, to, to find out if Ronnie Stanley restructures his contract. That means the Ravens are creating cap space so that they can go out there and make a big splash move. So I got a Google alert on, on a Ronnie Stanley contract restructure uh, just in case uh, to give me a heads up that maybe something is a, a little bit more imminent there. So we'll see how it all plays out. I hope it doesn't happen guys, but I can't sit here and say like, Oh, zero percent chance of it happening let's just say 20 percent chance of it happening i don't know but speaking of of coaches you know commitment to various players we're going to wrap up today's weekly wrap up by talking about the various assistant coaches uh and what they had to say to the media this week and that will lead us into comp conversations about the competitions uh for starting spots at cornerback and left guard but before we get there guys i do want to plug the lockdown hawks podcast where host brad roland has you covered on all things atlanta hawks and including why this team is suddenly out of the dumps there, I guess. And now, you know, in the driver's seat for a postseason spot. So check out the lockdown Hawks podcast or your other favorite NBA teams, daily podcast on the lockdown podcast network. And you can find them all on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So guys, did you know that Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market and it has nine delicious flavors? Whether you're a fan of the coconut almond like me or you prefer mint brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, double chocolate, peanut butter brownie, salted caramel, coconut or raspberry, there's something for everyone and there's also occasionally a limited time flavor too and you can try them all with a mix box. You get two each of all nine flavors because Built Bars contain 100% real chocolate. They taste just like a candy bar and are not just tasty, they're healthy too. They're low in sugar, low in calories, high in protein, high in fiber. And if you don't know what to get mom for Mother's Day, I can tell you that most moms love Built Bar. Send her a box and you'll be her favorite until you have to get her that next box of Built Bars. And all you got to do is head over to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. 
So we got pressers from Titans coach Justin Peel, offensive line coach Dwayne Ledford, and DB's coach John Hoke. And I believe it was the first time that they spoke to the media since they were hired back in January. So nothing too crazy from what they said to the media on Wednesday. I thought it was interesting hearing Justin Peel talking about uh, the work ethics of, of the various tight ends, you know, connecting his former teammate and Tony Gonzalez and his work ethic to coaching Zach Ertz in Philadelphia and now connecting that with, with Kyle Pitts here in Atlanta. And obviously this is something we'll probably address on future episodes of the pod when we take a deeper look into Kyle Pitts, but he's consistently always gotten glowing remarks about his character, his maturity and his approach to the game of football. So I think, you know, that meshes with that. Another interesting tidbit that I, I picked up listening to that episode was realizing that Justin Peel's former position coach, when he entered the league in 2002 with the chargers is also Kyle Pitts's position coach at Florida these past few years in Tim Brewster. And that's something I didn't know. And had I known that probably would have made me rethink my final prediction of thinking the Falcons uh, were going to ultimately take a quarterback. Um, you know, it's reminiscent of the coaching connection that Darren Hall has to John Hoke, whose son Kyle is Darren Hall's position coach and John's brother Brady is the head coach at San Diego State and that was something that we talked about on yesterday's episode with John Ledger of Pewter Report and Hoke also talked about in his presser giving you some insight into the player and the decision making to pick Darren Hall higher than a lot of people were projecting him to go um, I thought it was interesting you know D- John Hoke was not asked specifically about Kendall Sheffield he was asked about Isaiah Oliver as well as AJ Terrell and it feels like Kendall Sheffield's kind of been the forgotten man in the cornerback conversation this offseason. I haven't heard really anybody talking about it. I think Tory McElhaney did an article over at The Athletic recently sort of projecting the, the Falcon starters, and she did have, I think, Kendall Sheffield as the other starting corner opposite A.J. Terrell. But outside of that, like, I, I haven't really heard anybody talking about Sheffield at all. Um, and, you know, when Hoke was mentioned, was asked specifically about Terrell and Oliver, he, he talked about Terrell having an impressive rookie season. He talked about Oliver finding a role once he moved inside to nickel, which makes me think that we will continue to see Oliver stick at the nickel spot uh, moving forward. Um, and I would assume he's going to be the front runner, the incumbent to win that spot. But I think he'll be pushed in, in training camp. Obviously, a player like Darren Hall, Avery Williams, another player that was mentioned. And Sheffield has the potential to compete there as well because he has that experience playing inside. But if I had to guess at the Falcons depth chart at the cornerback position moving forward, you're going to have A.J. Terrell locked in at that starting left cornerback spot. I think you'll probably have Fabian Moreau and Kittle Sheffield one and two at the right cornerback spot. So we'll probably see Sheffield play more outside than inside. Um, and Oliver will probably be number one at the nickel and Hall will probably com- the one pushing for him, you know, Williams may be listed as Terrell's backup at left corner, but I would expect the bulk of his work during training camp will be inside at that nickel cornerback spot. Cause I'm just not convinced a five, eight Avery Williams is going to be a guy that you want to be drawing too many of those outside assignments. So my guess would be that you will see also hall get some of that work at that outside cornerback spot. Cause he did play left corner um, for San Diego state, or at least usually lined up on the left side uh, based off of their defense. Um, so I think you'll see Hall go inside and outside. And so I think the competition, particularly at that nickel spot, is going to be interesting. Um, you know, how the Falcons stack their depth chart at that cornerback position. You obviously expect uh, Williams to play primary special teams. He'll also be a return specialist here. Sheffield has experience on special teams. Hall is a rookie. He'll probably get work on special teams. And I think Oliver is going to be interesting in that regard because while he did play some special teams as a rookie, the last two years he's been absent in that role. And my recollection is that he didn't really stand out in a major way on special teams coverage back in 20. 20- 
2018 when he played on those kickoff coverage units. And I bring that up because, you know, we've talked about how Isaiah Oliver may be on the bubble and the Falcons could wind up saving some money by cutting or trading him about $2 million. And I think the fact is that if he does not wind up being one of the team's top three corners, that's going to be push him further to potentially be uh, a lot more expendable because he's not bringing the same special teams value that some of the other backup corners are bringing. Cause when you look at how teams construct their rosters, typically the Falcons and most teams only have four or five active corners on game day. And obviously you're going to have the top three guys, the starters. And in this case, it's going to be Terrell Moreau probably, and whoever wins up winning the nickel job, whether that's Oliver or Hall. And then the, the next two guys are going to be, primarily special teams guys. And obviously Williams should be one of those guys uh, as a punt returner. And that fifth spot would presumably go to someone like a Kendall Sheffield because he's a gunner on punt teams. And I would guess looking at the punt team, you know, Patterson will be one gunner and there will be a co- open competition for the other spot with Williams, Sheffield, Alameda Zacchaeus being in that mix. Christian Blake has some experience there. Obviously Russell Gage did that early in his career, but since graduating to being a starting wide receiver, he hasn't done that. I would assume that he won't go back to doing that. You know, I think Frank Darby could be in that mix. You could even throw Javian Hawkins in that mix uh, because Anton Smith was perhaps the, the best gunner I've seen in, in, in the, on the Falcons in recent years. And if you like Hawkins, maybe you think there's some Anton Smith in him. Uh, so maybe he could also be in the mix with that speed on the outside. And it gets back to the point at hand where Oliver, I think is firmly on the bubble because it's going to be harder for him to carve out a role exclusively on special teams. He's not really fast enough to be a gunner on a punt team. And he's not really big enough to be a wing on the punt team, which typically Running backs and linebackers typically play those roles. Sometimes you'll see a 220-pound box safety like a Kamal Ishmael playing that role. But typically safeties on the punt team are personal protectors more so than um, gunners and wings. And Oliver's experience on special teams was almost exclusively in terms of kickoff coverage. And it's not to dismiss that kickoff coverage is frivolous and doesn't mean anything. But because the league rules have made it harder to carve out a niche on kickoff coverage, you know, back in the day, you could carve out a niche as a wedge buster, but because the league eliminated a wedge and you have such a high percentage of kickoffs that are actually returned, I think only 23% of Sterling Hoffrichter's kickoffs last year were actually returned last year, that it's just harder to stand out in kickoff coverage. You know, it's not to say that kickoff cover guys are a dime a dozen, but again, it's just harder to distinguish yourself from the pack as it is on the punt team. So all of that to say is, you know, if Oliver doesn't win the nickel cornerback job, you know, I think it's going to be hard pressed for the Falcons to justify keeping him on the team. So my bold, but not that bold prediction is that he'll either be the starter week one at the nickel spot, or he'll be off the team. Now talking about Dwayne Ledford in the offensive line competition, he mentioned Jalen Mayfield, Matt Gano, Josh Andrews, and Drew Dahlman by name as guys competing for that vacancy at left guard. It's notable that Hennessy was left off that list because he did get reps at that left guard spot last year, but it's probably due to the fact that he's the incumbent center. And the expectation is that he'll get the first team reps once practices start in the OTAs this off season at the center position. Dahlman would probably be the second team. And typically the way that teams treat uh, practice reps is that you know, first team offensive linemen play their spot. Second team guys get cross-trained. So, you know, that's because you only can have eight uh, active offensive linemen on game day. It used to be seven until last year's rule change. And so, therefore, the three backups have to have some positional flexibility. Center's got to be able to play guard and vice versa. Tackle's got to be able to play guard and vice versa. And so that's why teams tend to cross-train second and third string offensive linemen. And you'll probably see Dahlman because he's going to start out as a second team or get some cross-training in that regard. And that's why play 
players like John Wetzel and, and Justin McRae continually stick in this league. That to me is why a player like Josh Andrews was signed by the Falcons. And frankly, you know, I, I kind of think Jalen Mayfield may be destined for that type of role long term. But you know, again, I'm I'm lower on Jalen Mayfield than others, so we'll see. Um, you know, I would doubt that Dolman's going to win the left guard spot, even though he's technically a part of the competition. Because I would assume if he's that impressive to um, challenge those guys at left guard. He's probably putting a lot more pressure on Hennessy to be the starting center uh, than necessarily pushing for the opportunity to be the starting left guard. So I think it's going to be interesting to watch what goes on in terms of how the reps are divvied up, how much opportunity these guys like Josh Andrews and Matt Gano get the left guard position. We know that Mayfield's going to get those reps. Uh, we know that one of those guys is going to be competing with Mayfield and get the bulk of those reps there. Um, my guess you know, is that Gano probably won't get as many reps there as maybe he deserves because I think he'll get a lot of snaps at the swing tackle position. Um, you know, I feel like Gano is of this group of guys that we're, we're talking about most prepared to, to be a starter because we've seen him actually play at a starting level, although that's been mostly as a tackle. Um, but without the Falcons having a sort of John Wetzel type to sort of sub in for Gano as the swing tackle, my guess is that you won't see Gano getting that many reps in practice inside um, as he probably should, at least his ability merits him to get. Like I would say, you know, based purely off of ability, you know, Gano should be getting the first team reps at left guard. But I imagine they will split those between Andrews and Mayfield early on. Um, because Gano's going to be spending a lot of time at the tackle positions. And, you know, right now, based off of the roster, Willie Beavers is the next best option to be a swing tackle. And he's proven, at least based off of his performances in the preseason over the last four years, that he's probably better served to be a guard than a true tackle. Um, and basically, because I think Josh Andrews has no business being a starter in this league, I think it's a relatively low bar to clear for Jalen Mayfield to have a, find a path to be the starting left guard for the Falcons. So if someone's out here saying, and I've seen several people and I don't disagree with them, but you know, if you're out here saying that you think Jalen Mayfield is going to be a week one starter at left guard, it's like, yeah, that's definitely in the, in the, in the realm of plausibility because given how the Falcons current offensive line is constructed, like his, he's got the path of easiest resistance to being a starter. So if the Falcons had a game tomorrow, I think Matt Gano would be the starting left guard, but over the next three months, you know, you could see a scenario where Gano's spending the bulk of his time playing tackle instead of guard. And you could see that needle start to slowly drift in Mayfield's uh, direction just because of more and more reps. So my concern is going to be that we'll get to a point four months from now where, you know, Jalen Mayfield has quote unquote earned a starting left guard position, but all he really had to do was beat out Josh Andrews who graded out as the ninth best offensive lineman on what was the third best offensive line according to Pro Football Focus last year. So I am certainly invested in whether or not the Falcons at some point in the next three months add somebody to the roster that potentially changes the math on their offensive line competition. Either that could be another swing tackle option that would allow them to give Gano more reps at left guard, or preferably that maybe that's a guy that has starting experience at left guard. You know, Sinio Kedalmente, Nick Easton are two guys that Terry Fontenot is familiar with from his days in New Orleans. Joe Dahl from the, the Lions would make sense. There's a ton of options out there. Um, but, you know, obviously going back to something we talked about earlier, you know, the Falcons would struggle to make a move uh, to upgrade their offensive line depth or potentially add another person in the starting lineup until they free up more cap space. And again, that goes back to what we talked about with Grady Jarrett and restructuring his contract sooner rather than later, which would allow them to address some of those spots. And obviously, you know, uh, if they were to trade Julio Jones after June 2nd, 
as early as June 2nd. And that would also create that cap space. But, um, you know, I also wonder if we will see this regime do what other regimes have done. I've seen throughout the league is kind of drag their feet on addressing their offensive line concerns because they kind of want to get those rookies as many reps as possible as an evaluation to. And we won't see a scenario until maybe like midway through the preseason, two or three weeks, in to the preseason where they have to make a move after somebody gets wrecked. And we saw this exact scenario go down, you know, years ago when the Falcons made the trade for Andy Levitri in that 2015 summer after James Stone, the God, uh, got wrecked in that Dolphins preseason game by Earl Mitchell. Ryan Schrader also got wrecked in that game by Derek Shelby. And it's probably not a coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence that the team went out and signed Jake Long not too long after that as well as an insurance policy at that right tackle position. And then you talk about, I think it was in the pre-draft press conference at Arthur Smith. He mentioned the Andy Levici trade by name as something that the Falcons did once a time, once upon a time ago as a way to shore up the roster. And I think that was in reference to the idea that the Falcons aren't done with roster moves or, or may not be done with roster moves. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. Obviously, because I'm impatient, I want it to happen now. Um, but, you know, I've learned over the years to try to be a little bit more patient. But obviously, you guys have to listen to me podcast about it. And <laughs> I got to fill this content somehow. So it, it caused me to raise questions about these various things and these various topics on the podcast and make it seem probably to a lot of your ears uh, a bigger deal, a bigger negative than it necessarily is. But look, we got to fill this content uh, calendar uh, for the Lockdown Falcons podcast. So we'll see how it all plays out. Obviously, the Julio Jones trade talk, it's going to continue to loom at least for the next month or so uh, until eventually it gets nipped in a bud. But even then, I still think we're going to consistently hear Julio Jones's name being mentioned as being on the trade block until we get to that October trade deadline, whenever that is. Um, so we'll just have to find out how that plays out. We'll have to find out how these competitions play out. And, and as I mentioned with the cornerback conversation, you know, special teams matters, man. Like this is why you got to be a roster nerd about some of this stuff uh, and really pay attention to what guys do on special teams. Cause that could wind up determining you know, who keeps their job, who gets cut, who gets traded, all these various things uh, that most people would just sort of overlook and, and base all their opinions off of, you know, who who broke up the most passes in a preseason game as the guy that is most deserving of a roster spot. So we'll see how it all plays out. Appreciate it, guys. We'll be back on Monday to begin Locked on Kyle Pitts week. Uh, taking a page from my uh, cohort at the Lockdown Bears, who's been locked on Justin Fields for the last week, much to my chagrin. But we will begin our breakdown of Kyle Pitts uh, on Monday, probably three days of uh, all intensive Kyle Pitts content. And then, of course, on Thursday, we will be doing a rapid reaction to the Falcons' 2021 schedule as that gets dropped on Wednesday. And then Friday we'll, we'll figure out what we're going to do and maybe have a, a weekly wrap up uh, to catch you up on any news that happened uh, during the week, because we're so focused on the schedule and Kyle Pitts next week over those first four days. So that's what you guys have in store. Um, and if you want to provide any feedback on anything I've discussed on today's episode, anything you want me to discuss on future episodes or anything you, that I've discussed on previous episodes, of course, you can hit me up on Twitter at Lockdown Falcons, on Facebook at Lockdown Falcons, or you can send an email to LockdownFalcons at mail.com. Appreciate it, guys. Have a great weekend. Till then.